welcome to another Rings of Power half hour episode. This is episode three following the um, release of Rings of Power episode three. I mean, I know they coincide. That's pretty crazy. Uh, titled Adar, which is, uh, I think, Sindarin for father. It's an elf word. Uh, so right away in the beginning, we see Arandir, the, uh, the elf, the sylvan elf, uh, in a slave camp of sorts of orcs and uh, they're digging tunnels it seems or like trenches kind of and the orcs um, as we know are basically in the simplest terms allergic to sunlight or at least their skin burns in the sunlight because they are basically children of the dark um, and one of the orcs played by Jed Brophy who is returning in this episode I'll talk a little bit about him in a sec. He mentions the character named Adar, for Adar, he says. So Jed Brophy um, is a well-loved actor who's played in both the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy as many different characters. In the Hobbit trilogy, he played uh, the, the dwarf Nori, which um, <clears throat> you'll know I have a particular distaste for the Harfoot character in the Rings of Power named Nori because that is a dwarf name. So what? Um, and then Jed Brophy also plays a slew of characters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, namely uh, as um, practical effects orcs and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> especially in the Two Towers, you'll see him. Um, so he's a very iconic actor, and he's uh, again returning in the Rings Power, which is pretty cool to see. That's um, It's always cool to see a familiar character, even if he plays a different character. Um, and like I said uh, in other episodes, I'm not going to go over a huge overview of, or summary of the um, the whole episode because if you're listening to this, you've likely already seen the episode, so you don't need me to explain everything to you again. So mostly this, the whole point of this is we're just going to kind of go over some of the lore changes, what I thought was good, just some of the major plot points, stuff like that. All right, <clears throat> continuing on, sorry. So now, um, now we see Galadriel and Halbrand wake up on board of Elendil's ship, and Galadriel notices that her dagger is missing. Um, so she's like, oh gosh, what am I going to do if I can't fight? What am I without a sword? She doesn't really say that, but she probably would. <clears throat> Anyways, so um, they meet uh, Elendil for the first time, Halbrand and Galadriel, and uh, then they enter Numenor in a port city, um, it seems like it opens up straight to the ocean, which is kind of interesting, but it's also kind of revealed to be Armenelos, which is the capital, which is in the center of um, uh, Numenor. So it's kind of interesting that they're showing it as a port city, but they're also trying to relay the, the fact that Numenor is a kind of um, like a seaside kingdom sort of thing. So maybe, maybe they traveled up the river to get to... Uh, the Armenelos, the capital city, but it seemed more like it was a harbor out in the sea. I don't know, it was kind of weird. Um, and then we meet uh, Ferrazon and Muriel. Ferrazon is called Chancellor Ferrazon, indicating that he's not yet in power, and Muriel is called Queen Regent. Uh, she's in power so far. Um, and it seems like they are married at this time. And then... We get into some dialogue, uh, just kind of introducing themselves, and Galadriel wants passage back to uh, Middle-earth, but all of the Numenorians basically dislike elves at this point because of what happened in the past, and um, and so they, they're all like, oh no, we're not going to do that for you, why would we do that for an elf? And then um, 
we, uh, I think Galadriel mentions the fact that it's because of the elves that they were given the kingdom, which I thought was a hard no. Um, it's actually because of the Valar. <laughs> I mean, so first of all, in the first age, the uh, the Adain did help the elves in the war against Morgoth, and so that was a big deal, but it was mostly because the Valar granted them this, uh, they granted them this island because of their deeds in Middle-earth against Morgoth. It wasn't just because the elves gave them the land, or the elves, uh, is because of the elves. Um, it was mostly just because of their deeds against Morgoth, their, uh, heroic acts and their defense. So it's, uh, I thought that was kind of stupid. It was just there's, there's just a bunch of banter back and forth between Galadriel and Miriel and Farazone and Halbrand just trying to uh, debate over whether they could get passage back to Middle Earth or stay here or get rid of them or whatever. Um, and it also kind of shows too that uh, this is what I like that Farazone is a little prejudiced towards elves, which is um, very on character for him, even though he doesn't fully reveal it yet. But it's like okay, I like this Farazone is pretty cool so far um yeah and then uh Farazone also mentions uh Muriel's father um but he doesn't say by name he and it's kind of like a bad taste in his mouth a little bit but it's a uh, tar palantir is Muriel's father and um so we hold on I'm trying to open my phone to get to something so we're in Numenor so far Numenor is probably other than Khazad Doom and maybe Linden is one of my favorite places so far. Numenor looks fantastic. I've noticed in the architecture that there's um, uh, what do you what do you say? Uh, like you can see where like some of the Elvish influences there, but then you can see some of the newer architecture is more like I guess Middle Eastern or um, like Roman type architecture, indicating that this is stuff mostly influenced by the men and not the elves, because the elves, they kind of uh, distance themselves from. But at first, they were friends with the elves. So it's like you can see some parts of the city have elvish influence and other parts, like higher up, like the king's palace or the queen's palace or whatever, is more of a mannish influence, which is kind of cool. So that's just a little something. Um, I'm trying to look up something here, because um, I just remembered something about uh mentioned about Tar Muriel's family. So let me look up Tar Muriel. Um okay. I'll get to it in a second. I'm just opening it. Um Okay. Okay, I've got it opened. Ready. Anyway, so um and then Farazone also has to explain to Muriel who Elendil is because she asked who the captain of the ship was who brought Galadriel and Halbrand um, to shore. And he has to explain to Muriel who Elendil is, which is just crazy because also Farazone and El Elendil actually were friends. Um, I mean, they did uh, start to despise each other towards the end when Farazone took over and uh, basically... Um, uh, what do you say? It wasn't really, he wasn't really genocidal towards the faithful, but he was pretty evil towards them. Um, genocidal maybe towards the end, but anyways. And then Muriel should know him because they are like, like somewhat, like, I don't know, like third cousins or I don't know. There's, I have the family tree up. I don't know how you would explain that, but 
they are like cousins to some degree, so they should know each other. Plus, Elendil should be on the uh, the council that uh, obviously counsels the king and the our fair zone and everything. So I don't know, kind of interesting that they have to explain who Elendil is, but it was probably just something to explain to the viewers who maybe don't know who Elendil is, who Elendil is. So, uh, whatever, I just kind of scoffed at it and went on with it. And then we also get to meet young Asildur, who's kind of making his way in Numenor as a sailor, uh, trying to follow in his uh, father's footsteps. And in no way does it mention that Isildur has a brother, but it does mention that he has a sister, and we meet the sister, uh, whose name is Eyarian, which means daughter of the sea, which is kind of a cool, even though uh, she's not an actual character in the books or anything like that, it is possible that, you know, uh, she or Asildur and Anarian would have a sister, uh, even though they're never mentioned. Um, but I, I, she's not like she doesn't take away from the show. She doesn't. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a cool character, you know. As far as what we've seen from her, there's not much, but it's kind of interesting. It's just kind of interesting for me to think about like family trees and stuff. You know, I'm that kind of person. <laughs> um, anyways, so. Uh, we also see the white tree a little bit in Armenelos, which is kind of cool. It's still intact, so there's nothing super evil going on, I guess. And then, um, and then Muriel mentions her father's, like, no elf has come here since her father's great-grandfather was here. I think that's right. I, I can't remember what I wrote down, um, or what was in the show, but I wrote down her father's great-grandfather. So I have her um, family tree pulled up. So her father's Tar Palantir and Tar Palantir's great-grandfather. So... Um, grandfather Arzimrathon. So let me look him up. Um, okay, so let me see. Arzimrathon means collector of jewels. Um, and then let's see. Uh, and his Quenya name, Hostamir, means many jewels, so it's pretty much the same. Um, but there's nothing much about him and the elves, I guess. And it could also be, I wrote down the wrong <laughs> name or something. Let me look up another one. Um, yeah, nothing else. Okay, whatever. Uh, I don't think it's a huge deal, I guess. Oh. Yeah, okay, it might have been, actually, I might have gotten it wrong. It might have been Muriel's grandfather's great-grandfather. Because um, I just looked up Ar Adunakor, which is her grandfather's great-grandfather. And he is the first king of Numenor to take his name in Adunaik instead of Quenya. And he pretty much was the first to kind of reject the faithful Numenorians and the Valar and the elves. So I think that's what she was referencing. I think I just wrote it down wrong. So that's what that is. Our Adunacor is who she's mentioning. So that's kind of cool. Just a, a little more like Easter eggs, kind of throwing out some like lore that uh, um, viewers, um, like big fans will notice and stuff like that. So, um, and then we go back to the elves in the Southlands, or the, the, the slaves and the orcs and the digging of the pits and stuff. And um, the elves are talking. Um, and they believe that Adar could be another name for Sauron because they're wondering why the orcs are using an elvish name for their master. Um, and so they believe it could be another name for Sauron um, who told the orcs to call him Adar, so kind of keep his name secret. But um, And then I like these orcs too because they're practical effects. You know, they're not CGI or anything, and they look very 
grotesque like how you would imagine an orc and they look really they look really cool like some of them even have like old elfish armor on taken from the like first stage battles which is kind of cool because they scavenge a lot uh and so that's pretty cool and they're they're pretty cruel too it's like what you would see in like the two towers when mary and pippin are being dragged around by those orcs um, and another thing to mention too is that these orcs like i was saying in the beginning are um basically burn in the sunlight but then the orcs and the Lord of the Rings didn't burn in the sun. Like, why is that? That's because those orcs in the Lord of the Rings were called Uruk-hai, and they were special breeds made to not burn in the sun so that they were more superior. So that's why it's a big deal that the Uruk-hai are in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and then we go back to Elendil and Galadriel, and Elendil um, takes Galadriel to the Hall of Law, which is like a quarter's day right away. I don't know exactly where it is, um, but it could be maybe to the north um i don't have a map on me right now but it could be to the north because it's talking about how it could be like a like tar palantir um no it, it was elros who built it okay so i don't really know where it is exactly i'm just kind of guessing but it, it talks about how elros built the hall of law and that's where like they keep all of their scrolls of history and lore and stuff like that and laws of course um and then galadriel talks about how she knew elros um and which isn't necessarily um, like I don't because I, I think she left the first like or she left Beleriand before the first stage was over with her husband Celeborn um, before Elros was born maybe or I don't even it could be possible that she's met Elros before but he would have been very young I don't think she would have ever met him as a king. Um, but she did say that she knew his brother better, Elrond. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then we get a scene of Halbrand kind of talking with some of the local Numenorians. Um, he seems to be a smith because he's trying to convince one of the um, blacksmiths to let him join. And the blacksmith's like, oh, you can't, you can't be a, a metalsmith for Numenor unless you have one of the crests of the guild or something like that. So he's like, okay, whatever. And then he's talking to some other people outside and he notices one of them has the guild crest. And so he kind of tries to sneak his way, like cleverly, like get to him so he can get his, uh, so he ends up kind of like, there's like a little rough patch in the beginning, but then he ends up befriending them. And then he ends up like patting him on the back before he leaves. And then he kind of takes the crest. So, but then the guy notices that his crest is gone and he corners him in an alleyway and Halbrand gets kind of pushed around and beat up and stuff, but then Halbrand comes up, and they also call him Low Man, which is in reference to he's not Numenorian, you know, he's not basically, uh, he doesn't have the blood of elves in him, and he doesn't have, um, uh, the Numenorians have longer lifespans, they were granted longer lifespans, and uh, he doesn't have a long lifespan, and he's not like one of them, he's not like one of the superior people, basically, so they call him Low Man, and obviously that makes Halbrand mad, uh, which I can guess why, but I'll get to it later. Um, I mean, I think it would make anyone mad if you were called a low man. And um, so he gets uh, he gets upset, and he's like uh, he starts beating the crap out of him, basically. So it's obvious that he's some sort of warrior and knows combat very well. So it's just kind of uh, crazy. But that was a pretty cool scene that little fight. Um, but then he gets captured by the guards, and he's like, "Well, okay, I did I did a fist fight. I don't really want to fight someone with spears with my fist." So. He kind of just gives in. Um, 
And then, uh, let's see, let's see. And then also Galadriel finds out that the symbol that Sauron has been leaving around is actually a map of Mordor, which I think almost everyone has guessed that already. Um, and she kind of holds it up to a map of Mordor, and she's like, oh, this is where Sauron's going to start his base of operations or whatever. So um, we kind of get that whole thing. Because Mordor at this point, I guess, is just called the Southlands. Because Mordor in Sindarin means black land. So it's not necessarily an evil land yet. It's just called the Southlands. Um, then we go to the Harfoot Festival right before their migration. And Sadok leads a chant that kind of goes, Nobody goes off trail. Nobody walks alone. So I guess their whole thing is, if everyone sticks together, if no one does anything um, rash or out of the ordinary, then we'll all be safe and we'll all have a good life and we'll all, you know, stick together and that sort of thing. So that's their whole uh, thing. And then Sadduck's speech is very akin to Bilbo's farewell speech, I thought, which I thought was a cool nod. I'm liking the Harfoots less and less as I go along. I didn't like how much they showed the Harfoots in this one because it didn't give a lot of, um, it didn't move the plot forward very much. Even though it showed Meteor Man or the Stranger, whatever you want to call him a little bit, it didn't really move his story forward other than the fact that they found out that where his stars might be or something. I don't know. But it didn't really show anything. It was kind of stupid. So I'm liking them less and less. Um, so far, Numenor's great. The Southlands are still okay. I like Arondir's story. And I like now that we're getting close to Adar and who he could be. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then... Um, yeah, and then Sadok's speech is like Bilbo's farewell speech. I thought that was kind of cool. I think that was one of the only things I liked about the Harfoots in this one. Um, let's see, um, yeah, and then Meteor Man kind of stumbles through the camp, uh, looking for food, and then everyone discovers him, and Nori is kind of revealed as his, uh, friend, and so he kind of rats on her, basically, by saying her name, and so everyone's like, <gasps> and then their, Nori's family has to go in the back of the caravan, because they brought a giant with them, so, well, um, and then... And then, yeah, so, and then we see Aodian, Isildur, and Elendil talking about Isildur's uh, trial at sea to become a sailor. Um, and Isildur doesn't want to do it anymore, and he wants to follow in his brother's footsteps, maybe, and go back west. And so then we're like, okay, basically, Anarion's back. Okay, because the way they made it seem is that Isildur did not have um, a brother and just a sister. And I was like, well, where's Anarion? But I guess he's in there. They just didn't really mention him at first, um, unless I missed it. But yeah, so we get a mention of Anarion. Uh, maybe he's off at sea, or maybe he's in the lands of the west where his um, mother's family lives, and where I guess Elendil's family lives too. Um, and then Elendil seems to kind of, like he he kind of snaps at Isildur and Aarion, and so it seems like he has a lot on his plate right now. Uh, maybe it's just from trying to be... Uh, keep secret that he's one of the faithful um, and that he really wants to help Galadriel or maybe he um, just misses his wife and he's kind of lost without her that sort of thing I don't really know um, and then we see Galadriel visit Halbrand in his jail cell um, and she finds something apparently on Halbrand's like little like seal or that little necklace he carries that little uh, emblem and she says it was the emblem of the king of the Southlands. So back to episode one, it makes sense that that guy 
who said in the like the tavern kind of in the Southlands, that guy who said, uh, one day our king will return or something like that, and all you elves will leave or something like that. So I was thinking he was maybe like being bold and saying it was Sauron, but no. Um, so let's see. Uh, yeah, so it it appears that Halbrand is the uh, the what do you call it descendant of the king of the Southlands who rallied who rallied everyone to his. Uh, under his banner and under that emblem to fight off or basically to fight the war against the elves with Morgoth so he, he was on Morgoth's side and then Halbrand mentions that that was his ancestor who swore a blood oath to Morgoth and not him and he's not the hero Galadriel's searching for and besides she doesn't even have an army to protect the Southlands and she's like okay well we can make that change I can maybe convince everyone uh, okay whatever um and then she, Galadriel also says that their meeting was the work of something greater, like Eru or Manwe, um, maybe influencing it. I don't really think so. I don't really, I mean, first of all, it's not really part of the lore, so I don't, that's just probably why I don't think so, that Galadriel's on Numenor and meeting a king of the Southlands. Um, whatever. And then uh, Muriel also goes up to this tower and she talks to her father, Tar Palantir, uh, the former king. Uh, we don't see him, but she just kind of talks to him for a second. Oh, oops. And uh, maybe I should mute my computer. Okay, there we go. And uh, she says, she talks to Palantir that the moment they feared has arrived um, and that an elf was in Numenor. And so it might be insinuating that um, uh, whenever, like since the elves have left, Numenor or like stopped visiting that the next time an elf did come that there would be something like the faithful would be um, kind of pressed to make a decision are they loyal to Numenor or are they loyal to the elves that sort of thing um, and Palantir also should be mentioned is he's kind of far-seeing he can see visions of the future and stuff like that so and uh, he was named after well the word Palantir literally means far-seeing I think and that's also what those like little crystal globe balls are called, the palantiri. Um, so it's the same same kind of thing, same concept. Um, Meteor Man helps Brandyfoot haul their wagon at the back of the caravan, and the elves instigate a fight against the orcs with the men, and then we get revealed to a warg, uh, which is one of those like evil wolf things. Um, and it looks kind of weird, like it looks cool, but then you see its eyes and it just looks goofy and you're like, what the heck? Um, and I heard uh, uh, Matt from Nerd of the Rings, I watched his overview of the episode as well, and he says it looked like Ugly Sonic from the, the first Sonic movie, had the, um, the first uh, rendering of Sonic that they got. And so, I don't know why I just explained that, but I thought it was funny. Um, and then, uh, so we see... Um, both of Arandir's elf friends, who he was in the guard with, uh, are killed um, trying to escape or just trying to fight and stuff like that. And then the warg is killed, and then Arandir is also trying to escape, and he gets pulled back down out of back into the trenches. And um, and then he uh, let's see. And then an orc is about to kill him on the ground, but then another one says, "No, bring him to Adar or something like that, or bring like have Adar come here." And then the last shot we get of the episode is um, 
this kind of character in this like black spiky armor coming walking down the trenches and then we see a very blurry shot of Joseph Maul as I think it's Joseph Maul anyways I can't remember the actor's name uh, walking down the trenches and then we see like a blurry shot of his face with his dark hair and then that's like the last scene so oh my gosh the dryer just went off um, yeah so that's that's kind of the end um, my neighbor's also mowing his lawn too so that's a perfect timing uh, for the end here so I'll just kind of go over there wasn't a whole bunch of lore changes in this one other than Gladiel being on Numenor um, and the whole elves basically because the elves the the, um, the men had Numenor and stuff like that uh, other than that there wasn't a whole lot I didn't really like the Harfoots this time I loved the, all the shots of Numenor Elendil's a great character Isildur is looking to be a great character I uh, can't wait to see more of him and then um, I can't wait to see Adar I think that's going to be pretty cool and I wonder what his connection is with um, uh, like Sauron and all that sort of stuff and then also I mentioned earlier about Halbrand being called a low man and it's because he's the king of the Southlands and he didn't like that or he could be the king of the Southlands um, I think, and a lot of other people think this too, but my personal theory is that he will eventually become the Witch King, um, one of the Ringwraiths of Sauron, and that he will try and unite all of his people in the Southlands against Sauron, but then we'll see Sauron take form as Anatar, um, and Halbrand won't know that it's Sauron because he can't really perceive it that well, and he'll accept one of the Rings of Power from Sauron slash Anatar, hoping to you know, use its power against the orcs of Sauron, but then he becomes consumed by it and becomes a ringwraith, aka the Witch King, because we know the Witch King is a black Numenorian from the south, um, so it's uh, very possible, and I'm hoping that's actually correct, because that would be sweet, so that's kind of the whole episode overview um, I basically did a whole summary of it. I didn't mean to, but, um, and there wasn't a lot of lore changes, so I didn't really have much to go over that. I didn't, in terms of where I liked it, I would say this is, like, the, um, the first three episodes here. I would say episode one is probably my least favorite so far, just because it was slow. They were just introducing everyone, and there was, like, some weird lore changes in there that I didn't really like. Um, episode two is my favorite so far, and then episode three is number two. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's better than episode one, I'd say. Um, and they're still trying to introduce people, I guess. So it still feels a little slow. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to keep watching more cause I really want to see who Adar is and I really want to see more of the dwarves in Khazad Doom. I'm disappointed they didn't have anything with Elrond or Durin in this. Uh, episode, but I guess we'll probably see them in the next episode because I can't imagine they'd go two episodes without them, seeing as they're everyone's favorite characters. So yeah, um, still kind of disappointed with some parts, and uh, just mostly excited to see how it plays out because uh, I know how it plays out in the books, but I want to see like what they make some of these non-canon characters to be, basically. Um, yeah, so that's uh, Rings of Power Half Hour. I have no track of time right now, so I don't know if that actually was half an hour, but we'll just say it's close. I guess we'll see. Uh, so that's it for today's episode, a little Rings of Power Half Hour, and Jay will be here next weekend doing his summary and overview of Episode 4 of the Rings of Power. 
Um, and that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Bye.